0: A reading from the Gospel according to St. Matthew. Jesus left the house and sat by the lake side. But such great crowds gathered round him that he got into a boat and sat there. The people all stood on the beach and he told them many things in parables. He said, Imagine a sower out to sow. As he sowed, some seeds fell on the edge of a path, and the birds came and ate them up. Others fell on patches of rock, where they found little soil, and sprung straight away, because there was no depth of earth. But as soon as the sun came up, they were scorched, and having no roots, they withered away. Others fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Others fell on rich soil and produced their crop, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. Listen, anyone who has ears. Then the disciples went up to him and asked, Why do you talk to them in parables? Because, he replied, the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven are revealed to you, but they are not revealed to them. For anyone who has will be given more, and he will have more than enough. But from anyone who has not, even what he has will be taken away. The reason I talk to them in parables is that they look without seeing, and listen without hearing or understanding. So in their case, this prophecy of Isaiah is being fulfilled. You will listen and listen again, but not understand. See and see again, but not perceive. For the heart of this nation has grown coarse, their ears are dull of hearing, and they have shut their eyes. For fear they should see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their heart, and be converted and be healed by me. But happy are your eyes because they see, your ears because they hear. I tell you solemnly, many prophets and holy to hear what you hear and never heard it. You, therefore, are to to hear the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom without understanding, the evil one comes and carries carries off what was sown in his heart. This is the man who received the seed on the edge of the path. The one who received it on patches of rock is the man who hears the word and welcomes it at once with joy. But he has no roots in him, he does not last. Let some trial come or some persecution on account of the word, and he falls away at once. The one who received the seed in thorns is the man who hears the word, but the worries of this world and the lure of riches choke the word, and so he produces nothing. And the one who received the seed in rich soil is the man who hears the word and understands it. He is the one who yields the harvest and produces now a hundredfold, now 60, now 30. Tonight, we have this great, amazing gospel of the sower. In Matthew, it's the first parable that's given. And in fact, it's the first parable that's given generally in Luke and Mark as well. Jesus begins his teaching in parable. So we're in Matthew 13, so we've had a big discourse, from sermon on the Mount, preaching, then a big discourse on preaching, then preaching, and the preaching ended up to fail, really. So you have chapter 11, chapter 12, Jesus preaches, and chapter 12, is just really had a big run-in with the Pharisees about the Sabbath. The whole of chapter 12 is about the Pharisees not being happy with Jesus, and in fact, in chapter 12, Jesus heals a man in the synagogue during the Sabbath who has a withered hand. And that's a turnaround in Matthew. That's when the Pharisees decide to kill him. So we have this climax, this preaching that's failing, basically. And suddenly we have this preaching mode of Jesus completely changes from the style of the Sermon on the Mount, the style of the the formation of the disciple for mission which was chapter 10 now we have the parables addressed to everyone but as bizarre and mysterious as anything and and this first one really sets the tone you would think a parable is makes it easier to understand but really there is a paradox in it because it's both easier we sort of understand the seed and the sorrow and then it's at once so bizarre and mysterious and veiled at the same time. So is Jesus really making things easier? And he he himself doesn't seem to make things easier. So this whole discourse on the parables in Matthew 13, you have the parable of Sussur, and then you have a few other parables, and then it ends with Jesus being rejected by his own people in his own town. It doesn't really work either. This is the, the, the setting. The before and after is this rejection of Jesus himself. And in between you have these parables which are all about the kingdom of God. Jesus teaches by the lake sitting there, which is very interesting. He's not, so, so he's in the house and he, he goes off to the lake and he sits and then there are so many people that he gets into the boat and sits. Now the fact that he gets into the boat is to allow for his voice to carry better, to allow for him not to be trampled by everybody. So using the sort of a natural physical setting for, for best, so that he's probably slightly elevated as well, so people can see him on the boat. But what's interesting is he's sitting down and everybody else is standing up. We think in our setting nowadays, it's, it's quite the contrary that happens, uh, where usually a speaker would stand up. And everybody else would be sitting down. In so the whole of antiquity, that's how teaching and learning was done. The teacher would always sit down and the students would always stand up out of respect. So much so that when St Augustine in the fourth century started to say that in catechesis it would be a good idea if everybody sat down so that they wouldn't be so bored and stiff and achy, he was considered to be quite a revolutionary that was not a done thing but it was a suggestion to make everybody comfortable and to make them feel welcomed so we can see that in St. Augustine Jesus didn't have that yet he's not asking anyone to to sit down because what what Matthew is telling us through that little description of what goes on is that Jesus is the teacher and everybody Stands to attention. Jesus is the teacher. He sits with authority. We have the large crowds and the disciple and it's very clear in the gospel that you have a distinction between the disciple and the crowd. They are two different distinct group of people. They're all listening by the shore, but then the disciple has a special special interaction with Jesus. They come to ask him questions and in the text it comes vividly over when very mysteriously Jesus replies to them when they ask, why do you speak in parable? Because the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven are revealed to you, but they are not revealed to them. Now, in our current mentality, that's highly discriminatory, that's completely unfair, and that sort of kills the whole point of God revealing anything to anyone in the first place. If if Jesus is the revelation of the Father, then surely that revelation is for everyone. What is he talking about? How mysterious is that? That doesn't really fit with what we understand of Jesus. So this is something we'll have to ponder. This is very puzzling. This is one of the most difficult passages, I think, in the scripture, to understand what Jesus is actually meaning by his words. So we have the parable of the son of the sower. And, and so what happens with the parable? A parable both reveals and hides. It tells us something true about the kingdom of God, of course. But it also hides at the same time as it reveals, because the language is so mysterious that it requires a a movement of interpretation on our part, which can fall into subjectivism, or we just can say, well, I don't know what it means. It's not clear in and of itself. So how can we explain it? And that's the first aspect of it I I will tackle tonight. Tonight I'll divide, if you want, my commentary in two. The first part of the commentary will have to do with this mystery of Jesus not wanting people to understand him. It really is very strange. That's the first thing I'm going to tackle, and then the second aspect of it will be the parable itself, ways to interpret the parable. Jesus, of course, gives us an explanation, but we have a lot more thinking to be doing about this very interpretation of Jesus, about the whole parable. which because it both hides and reveals, has depth of meaning which can be found uh, in the light of the Tradition of the Church. Let's start with the mystery. What, does, what is Jesus doing? What does Jesus mean by, by hiding things from everyone? Anyone who has will be given more, anyone who has not even that, what he has will be taken away. The reason I talk to them in parallel is that they look without seeing and listen without hearing or understanding. So basically, he doesn't... Whether he wants or not them to understand, the point is they don't understand, they don't see, they don't hear, they don't, you know. And so the first thing that this commentary of Jesus does for us, it makes a distinction already in his speech, Jesus makes a distinction between the crowd and the disciple. Um, And that distinction is made by Jesus after a particular event, which is very significant. Uh, The the event I'm talking about is the disciples went up to him and asked, why do you talk to them in parables? So already we have a distinction. crowd who gathers around him uh, by the side So the, the local people who have just turned up and, and are coming and are spending some time and effort are standing there by the side to the lessons of Jesus. But they are not disciples. How can we tell the disciples? At this point, we tell the disciples by the way they live, by the fact They may not be locals, but they stay around Jesus all the time. They are with Jesus all the time. The disciple, as opposed to the crowd, is the one who makes the move himself, decides to follow Jesus, lives only for Jesus, has set out to not just turn up for when Jesus speaks, but to live with him day and night. That's the disciple. The crowd is the spectator who comes to us and when Jesus speaks. And they may have come for just a one-off as well. So we have this distinction and already the parable is telling us more about being a disciple or being part of a crowd of spectators than about anything else. And what Jesus is saying, basically, is that being one of a crowd, as an outside spectator, which is the case for so many of people, and, and has probably been the case for all of us at some point in our Christianity, being looking in from the outside as a spectator will not help us to understand anything about Christianity, or very little. It's, we will only begin to get it from the inside. It's only as we make a movement, not just external, of turning up for a talk, but interior. The movement of interior, the movement of opening oneself to Jesus, of making Jesus room in our life, making him part of our life, or rather getting our life into him, as it were living our baptism, when we begin to to become disciples so that, for example, Sunday Mass is a fundamental part of our of our life and not just a once a year event, then things begin to make sense, things sort of fall together. Because what matters most is our disposition, because the mysteries that Jesus is talking about, what he reveals to us, The the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, what he reveals to us, is both too great for us to begin. Mere creatures, sinners, far away from God. We have Jesus is crossing a distance, if you want, between God and us. Is the bridge between God and us, fully God and fully man. But what he reveals, and he himself is the revelation. He himself is the Word of God. Is not a notion. Is not. To accept the revelation of God in Jesus Christ, there has to be an interior movement in ev- anyone who wants to accept it. And that interior movement is, if you want, expressed in the walk of the disciple who conforms himself, follows Jesus in, every, in everything. It's not that he's positively acting so that they don't understand. What he's saying to us is that they don't understand because they're not disposed to. Because they they're from outside their spectators, they, they don't perceive, they can't perceive I'm, and what I'm telling them because they, they they haven't done the journey inside, they haven't done discipleship. So if you want that's that's a, a way to understand it. And it's already in the text, this distinction between disciple and crowd is is at the heart of it. Is that because of this disposition this movement of freedom, so that's this required discipleship. But what is this discipleship about? Discipleship is about this openness to Jesus. And so this openness to the Holy Spirit, the, the, the attitude of humility, of learning, being a listener, so that um, so that God can actually come in because in order to adhere and assent to God's revelation our, our understanding itself won't do it will be helpful but it won't what is required is faith the ascent will be one of faith and it's a gift of God faith and reason together so it doesn't mean that we have to become stupid and not question anything yeah. But it means that we have to be open to a teaching that is greater than what we could have cooked up for ourselves. That here Jesus is telling us something about the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, which are not reachable from earth. And we have at some level to accept it on his authority through faith. And our faith, again, is not in a notion. We don't believe in Jesus like we believe that two and two is four. Our faith is in a person. And so understanding what he says uh, cannot be done unless we accept who he is, and unless and accepting who he is can only be genuinely done if we are disciples. We can't from afar, if you want. And all the parables, all the parables are about the kingdom of heaven, the coming kingdom of heaven, which is in preparation, which is always being built, and it's been built in the human heart. And it's a preparation for the second coming. It's a preparation for this final fusion, this final um, harvest, if you want, this unimaginable harvest. So that's that. Now, I want to go into a bit more detail into the parable of the sower itself. How do we understand this sower? How do we understand this seed? Let's look at the text. The sower had to sow. Now. We can take three ways to look at the teaching of Jesus. Uh, the first way, the first sense will be trying to find out what Jesus reveals about himself, finding God. Second sense, what he reveals about us. Third sense, what he reveals about the church and the things to come. What is the seed? The seed and the, 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 the parable, then in the explanation that Jesus gives of the parable, the seed is the word of the kingdom, the word of the kingdom. What is the word of the kingdom? A very mysterious, you know, Jesus seems to be explaining the passage. It doesn't really enlighten that much. The soil is, is the, the, the interior disposition of the one who receives the word of the kingdom rather than a, a, a sort of like agricultural teaching. So, but the seed, the word of the kingdom, who is the word? Jesus himself. And, of course, Jesus has even compared himself to the grain of wheat who was planted in the ground and died in John 12, unless the grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies. And that refers to his death. The the, the cross is planted on the the ground. Jesus is that seed planted which bear fruits, the tree of life, rises of eternal life. So if we understand Jesus himself, to be the Seed. How is he sown? Well, he's sown, if you want, by the Father. And when is he sown? He's sown primarily, the first sowing of the Word is the Incarnation uh, in the flesh, in Our Lady. So that's why I put an image of of the Annunciation there. He's sown in the world, the Father's Son into the world. Uh, in the womb of Our Lady, Jesus, God takes our flesh and and lives hidden for 30 years in the depths of human condition. He lives hidden like that seed, but because he's planted on the best possible ground, the Holy Family, Our Lady, all disposed, all prepared to receive him. And here we have the perfect image of discipleship really with Our Lady and St. Joseph. Uh, he grows and flourishes, and, and then you know, bears fruit. But bears fruit really by his death as well. So we have that seed. We have the planting of the cross, the tree of life. We have the resurrection, uh, rising up to eternal life. Romans five. It's that chapter where Saint Paul compares Adam to Christ. Just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, how much more grace came through Jesus Christ. For if the many died by the trespass of one man, how much more did God's grace the gift that came by the grace of one man, Jesus Christ overflowed to the many. So we have this fruitfulness. Uh, through his death and resurrection, Christ brings life to the whole world. It's the hundredfold crop, if you want. That crop of eternal life, that crop of, of the resurrection. So we can see the word being the seed. And the word is planted in us. The word is planted, of course, Jesus is planted in us through the Holy Spirit. We are conformed to him at baptism. We become his member. And so that's the beginning of that. And and of course, the fruits of that is faith, hope, and love. It's It's our life as a Christian. It's the grace of God in us. So we can see that planting of Jesus in history, and we can see it in ourselves. And that's precisely the moral sense of that parable. And this is the more, the moral sense that Jesus himself explains, is that the soil is the human person. Not for lots of us would be tempted to try to figure out who am I? So Jesus is, is giving us like a psychological profile of four different types of people. And I desperately wanting to be the one to produce a hundredfold, but really I may look a lot like the rocky patch person or like the thorny person in many ways. So... Am I doomed, basically? Well, I think we shouldn't really take this to that parable. Of course, Jesus is, is is depicting profiles of people. But the point is, is also probably, because we're talking about a seed and a sower, is also depicting growth. And all of us in our spiritual journey have different moments of growth. And all of us, myself the first, and any saints you can think of, have at some time been the first one, the the path, and at some other time being the rocky soil, and at some other time being the thorny soil. It happens continually. And what Jesus is encouraging us to do, telling us to do, is to be well disposed to to be there for him to come. That's where the, the the analogy breaks down, because the soil can't do anything about itself, but we can by the grace of God, we can prepare ourselves to receive the word. We can dispose ourselves. For example, the, the, rocky, the rocky man has welcomed the, the word at once with joy. And, and remember, when I came to grow into my adult faith, that was, that was great. It was all wonderful. Christianity was superb. And it was filled with joy and happiness. And it was wonderful. And then it didn't last that long, actually. And I'm not constantly overfilled with feelings of elations with my faith. And when trials and persecution come, that's where the faith is tested. And that's where all of us at some point have fallen. And so what Jesus is telling us about is this is, is perseverance. The distractions from the world happen all the time at every moment. The worries of this world and the laws of riches, these things make us lose hope. These things weaken our faith. These things make us forget about our neighbor and charity. And so this is what Jesus is warning us against. But the first one even, now think of yourself or well I can easily think of myself When anyone hears the word without understanding, the evil one comes and carries off what was sown in his heart. Well, that's me at Mass a lot of the time. I'm just there, la la la, five minutes later, I can't tell you what the gospel was because I wasn't paying attention. And yet it's the word of God. So it's so easily done and it happens all the time. So what Jesus is describing really are stages. Stages of growth in faith, stages of faith development that we need to understand so that we're ready not to put us down. But it's normal. It will happen. And as we persevere in faith, we will finally become, by the grace of God, a a good soil, if you want. So that's what it is. It's, It's describing dispositions to receiving God's word. And it's a bit of a map of the spiritual life that we have here. And what we have, as well as our our call for perseverance, which is really implicit, what we have explicitly is God's faithfulness and perseverance. Because the sower will keep sowing. The sower will keep sowing. He will keep sowing his seed on the path where it will produce nothing. He will keep sowing his seed on the rocky ground and on the thorny ground, which would be crazy for any sort of good farmer to do. But the sower is just lavish. And he comes and he does it. And in fact, this is exactly what Jesus is telling in parable is exactly what is happening to him at the moment at which he speaks. This rejection from the Pharisees, this rejection from his own town, this misunderstanding of the crowds. This is exactly what he's talking about. The distraction, the inability to understand all of this, and it's very clear in the beginning, the inability to understand then the seed is taken away by the evil one. So we we can't really attribute, even though the language of Jesus is very strong because he's disappointed, he must be so frustrated, coming, revealing the mysteries of the kingdom of God to people who will not get it. But he's, he's, he's literally saying to us through the parable of the sower that he's doing the sowing, he's the seed. But it's the disposition of our hearts that make it impossible for the seed to be growing. And that's what happened with the Pharisees in chapter twelve. That's what happened in chapter eleven uh, with John the Baptist. That's what happens with Chorazin and Bethsaida and Capernaum. wrote to you? If what had been come to you had been come to Sodom and Gomorrah, they would have repented. So the, the the prelude to last week's gospel. And then that's what will happen with his own hometown, his own family. So Jesus is is depicting in in a in a Metaphor of what is actually going on and what is the, the, the overarching message in it is God's faithfulness and perseverance because he did come He knew about it. He knew he would be rejected. He did come. He did speak. He did reveal and he carries on revealing himself. He will not stop trying to um, Give himself well trying to to uh, reach out to us So that he finally gets a response out of us and so here we find the church Jesus acting in his church now and until the end of time but the image of the seed that we can very well see and use is us is the eucharist if you are Eucharist, we have this seed falling on the ground jesus said to us on the altar planted in our hearts Given, you know when you when you think of a sunday mass where you have maybe 500 people in our parishes in England, maybe 200, hundreds of people all around the world. And Jesus gives himself totally, fully, substantially to every of this person, to every one of us. Jesus is fully, entirely, substantially present under the, 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 the species of bread and wine. And to each one of us, we give him whole and entire. He doesn't divide himself, he doesn't give bits of himself, he doesn't give parts of himself or he doesn't even give us something as a token, he gives himself fully and entirely. So that seed is sown in our hearts. And what we have is actually a description as well of our attitude at mass. That's what I was hinting at. If you want, that would be an examination of conscience of how have I been at mass. And let's take, for example, the rocky ground. Sometimes we get mass, we, we really enjoy it. We get into it, we pray and it's fervent and it's beautiful. Sometimes we don't get that much of a grace or a disposition, and so we get bored trials. Uh, or we get persecuted. Well, not really. Do we get persecuted? And Well, let's say we have a really annoying person sat next to us who does not stop sneezing or coughing. It's a source of a persecution. What do we do with it? Well, we say, oh, blow it. I'm not coming back. Or we get, you know, so many things annoy us, so many little things. We have a row with somebody, we don't come back. So we can fall away for different reasons that have nothing to do sometimes with the word of God and Jesus. But we can't pass over these. And so what is it shows is that our faith really needs to grow to be stronger, to be able to, to withstand these sorts of obstacles. The third man, these distractions, the worries of the world where I can't, I can't find time to go to mass because there's so much I need to do and I've got to work. And sometimes, fair enough, the work, you know, some people have to work on Sunday, it's inevitable. But trying to get to mass once a week at least. Uh, so we, we have these tensions in us. What really has priority in my life? And is Mass the, the last thing on my priorities? You know, When I really have nothing else better to do? Or is it the top? It's just for us to examine our functions and see where faith can grow, where our faith can grow. But every Mass we have that seed of the Eucharist falling, being sown into the ground, being sown into our hearts. So what we do, it's also participate in the work of the sower in the field of the world, sowing the seeds in the field in the field of the world. And that brings about the fruits of holiness, that great fruitfulness of a hundredfold.